Jesus, thanks for this time. Thanks for the uh, moment to be with you. Thanks for what you're doing here at Awakening. It's just such a joy to get to be a part of it. God, would you show up and would you speak to our hearts? And I pray, especially tonight, God, that we would be more than just hearers of your word, God. You would make us doers for your name's sake, for your glory, for this city's sake. That we would be awakening church, a city on a hill that shines your light to a hurting and broken world that expresses your love to those who desperately need your hope and grace, God. May that happen here, and may this moment be a catalyst for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was about 12 years old. My brother was in high school, senior in high school. He played on the varsity basketball team. It was the night of a big game. He's out in the front driveway, warming up, doing reps, you know, free throws, three-pointers. And as a 12, 13-year-old little brother, I came out to taunt him. (laughs) So I asked a quite obvious question. I said, what are you doing? Warming up for the game, clearly annoyed with me. And then the next line that proceeded from my mouth, I couldn't help it. Nowadays, I have a better filter. Why? You don't really play anyways. <laughs> what happened next caught me off guard a little bit. I was for sure thought I was going to get a beating, but instead he yelled for mom. <laughs> that night, I wasn't allowed to go to the basketball game to watch my brother play. I was grounded. I had to stay at home. And he comes back with this gloating smile as he scored the most amount of points he had ever scored in a game. is well over 20 points. Because that night, he was a man on a mission. <laughs> to prove to his snotty little brother that not only he played basketball and that he was the starting, you know, two guard, but that he was a major offensive scorer. He was a man on a mission, and he proved me wrong in so many ways. You know what's interesting? As I kind of look back on that moment, it was my brother and going, why did it take a snotty 12-year-old brother taunting him for him to kind of step into who he already really was. Sometimes, wouldn't you agree, we need a little catalyst in our life that helps kind of kick us into gear or maybe motivates us and says, all right, let's get after it. And that's what I hope tonight will be for you. My hope tonight for you is that this will be a little, I'm not going to be hopefully the snotty little brother to you that is taunting you, but I hope tonight will be a little bit of a wake-up call where you'll begin to dream bigger dreams. You'll begin to have this sense of your calling and purpose, and you begin not only to think and dream, but step into it, into reality, that your mission is so much greater than a basketball game or scoring points or even school, that we would begin to ask and answer this question effectively as a community. What if we all lived missionally? 
I mean, really, think about it. Just look around in this room. What if we all lived on mission for God? Imagine what could be in this city. I mean, do you really get this, that you are here on purpose? You have a a unique design. God has uniquely placed you at your school, at your work, where you're at. And he says, I long to use your life. You have a purpose and a mission on this planet. And if you began to say, yeah, that's me. I'm going to stop going through the motions. I'm going to stop living in apathy, but I'm going to get after it. I mean, just imagine just imagine the collective capacity in this room, what God might want to do here in this city, what God might want to do in this world, and the ripple effects that it has. I mean, think about this. What if we all, for you and I, what if we all lived missionally, lived out our purpose on this planet? Or we step fully into what God has you. I mean, just think about this real quick. God has a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it because it's the greatest thing ever. What if you began to lean into that? We want to talk tonight about how to do that. And I pray, like I said, that this will be a catalyst. This will be a wake-up call. For some of you, it'll be the first time that maybe you've heard some of this. For others, it might be kind of a repeat, but it stirs you fresh, and you go, all right, let's get it. Come on. Where are we going to go? It takes each one of us saying, I'm in. What if we all lived missionally? Now, to do that, we've got to answer two questions. Uh, The two questions are simply this. Well, first, what is the mission of God? We've got to ask and answer that question. What is the mission of God? And the second question is, how do we, in light of that, live missionally? How do we live on purpose? How do we live out and lean into our purpose on this planet? And so we're going to do that. If you've got your notes, open them up. We're going to uh, unpack these two questions. What is the mission of God? And I'm going to unpack a couple really familiar passages. You've probably heard them before. If you've been around here for a while, the first one you for sure have heard, because I teach it probably twice, if not more, a year. It's just that big of a deal for us. And then what is the mission of God? If you want to kind of have a concise unpacking of what God's up to on this planet, uh, you're going to go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is where Jesus, before he ascends into heaven... He's giving the last marching orders to his disciples saying, okay, guys, come on, gather around. It's like a huddle on the team. Gather around. Come on. Here's what you need to do to live into who I've made you to be. Here's what it is. Here's what you're to do, team. Come on, let's go. And what happened in that moment sent ripple effects that affect us today because we're gathered 2,000 years later. Now, as I was thinking about this and studying this this last week, what was interesting is I, I so often forget about the context uh, just think about this. Imagine who Jesus is talking to. He's, this is 40 days earlier about he was hanging on a cross under Roman execution. The disciples around him deserted him, hid in fear because they were afraid they would be next. And few of them even denied Jesus. Day one, it looked like this movement died 
This rabbi they followed was killed. Day two, it was full of despair. What do we do now? We left everything to follow this guy. What do we do now? I don't know. And they're in utter shock. But then day three came. And I love that day three came. Because day three came and the ladies went to the tomb and they found it empty. And Jesus rose from the dead and hope sprang and the movement began in ways they could never imagine. Just think about this. And Jesus, for 40 days, walked on the planet. And it wasn't like he just had this, like, you know, shadowy Bigfoot-like sighting. It was like, oh, that's him over there. But the picture's kind of blurry. I can't quite tell, you know, but maybe it is. He showed up over a course of 40 days to multiple eyewitnesses. At one time, it was over 500 people at one time. His last words... To his disciples, think about who he's talking about. The disciples that deserted him. The disciples that denied him. The disciples that doubted him. You know, I think sometimes when we're talking about what if we all lived missionally, some of us immediately opt out and go, Ingram, you don't know my past. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know. God couldn't use me. And what we see from the beginning is God took a ragtag bunch and said, you know what? Your past is going to, I'm going to use that with you. It doesn't take you out of the game. Maybe you're there and you just need that word of hope of what you're not out. You may, may be knocked down, but you are not out of the game. And he says these words to that group, and as a result, this movement swept not only the Near East, but then Europe, and then all over the world. And we are sitting here today, 2,000 years later, because a group said, what if we all lived on mission together? What if we fulfilled our purpose on this planet? And would you and I step into it today now? Check it out, what Jesus has to say. And the first thing he has to say in light of this is that he, Jesus, has all the power. That he has authority. Notice what he says, Matthew uh, 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. So, you know, some of us come with this background. I don't know the best thing to do. I don't have the strength to do what God's called me to do. That's okay. He does. He has all the power and authority. It's on that basis that we move forward. Not because we got it all together. Not because we have our act figured out. Because it's about Jesus and about him. And because he's in control. Because he has power. You go, okay, I can move forward. Not because I got it figured out. Not because I'm the smartest. Not because I'm the brightest. Not because I have the, I'm the most gifted. Because all that doesn't matter before Jesus says, guess what? You move forward because I have all the power. And as a result, you can move forward into what I have for you, your plan. Because I have the power. Listen to this. There is a call to live out your purpose. Because Jesus has the power. There is this call, this invitation for you and I to live out our purpose on the planet. And he says this. Therefore, go and make disciples disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. He says, 
Live out your purpose on this planet. You know what God's up to on this planet? He is restoring humanity to the right relationship with their creator. That's what he's up to. He is restoring humanity into right relationship with their creator. He says, guess what? I'm bringing an awakening to new life, and you get to be a part of it. The greatest mission on the face of the planet, Jesus offered and entrusted to doubters, deniers, and deserters. He said, now go. That God loves you, that God's not out to get you, that is an incredible message, that you have meaning and purpose. That is an incredible message, that you have hope, that you can experience a new life. This is the message that we are entrusted with. Get this, get this, get this. We're not gathered as a group to have a club. We're gathered because the church is the hope of the world. And what we do is we extend the love and grace of God to everyone around us. You step into your purpose. Now, let me unpack this verse just a little bit. I can't hang here too long. Would you uh, circle the word go there? And a lot of times we confuse that word go as, as this command. And, and one of the things we kind of think about is like, you know what, if I really do this, Ingram, you know, if I really step into this, God's going to ask me to go to Africa. And I don't want to do that. Right? God's going to ask me to do some uncomfortable things. I don't know about that. Here's what's weird, okay? The God who didn't spare his son for us, think about this. We somehow think that his plan for us is going to make us miserable, right? I mean, just think, how absurd. He longs to give you good things, and we we think his plan for us, I don't want to step into that because I'm going to be miserable. And he says, guess, no, 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 no. As you go. That word go simply is a participle. It's literally going. As you go about your way, as you're going about your day, here's what you need to do. Make disciples. Draw a little underline between under make and underline under disciple. Right next to that, uh, over make, write God's part. Over disciple, my part. The way it's built into the Greek, the the word make isn't there in the Greek text. It's literally the command disciple uh, to have the emphasis of the command. uh, The New Testament translators put the word make in there. And I think we get mixed up with that a little bit because then we have all kinds of weird ideas of what it means to make disciples. Literally, it says, therefore, as you're going about your day, as you're going about your way, disciple. It's less of an action and more of a way of life. It's more how you interact with everyone, not just someone. It changes your interactions that every part of your day is an expression of your love of Jesus to those around you. Think about that. It says, as you go about your day, express the love and grace of Jesus to those around you. Disciple. See, the make... You can't make somebody a disciple. That's, God can do that. You can't. The, you'll get really frustrated. I mean, if you've been, been in a serious relationship, you've been, if you're married here, you understand. You cannot make the other person do what you want to do, no matter how hard you try, right? If you don't know that, that's true, okay? We'll, <laughs> we'll back the train up. I'll, I'll just let you know. You can't. It doesn't work. God can 
Only God can change a heart. And you entrust that part to God and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to love. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around me. Therefore, as you go about your day, make disciples. Then what's it? it says baptizing. It's the public proclamation of your love for Jesus. We've well, got to experience that with Nick. It's so great. And teaching them to obey everything commanded. We're actually going to unpack that a little bit so he t- gives us this. It starts with, Jesus has all the power. You're invited to live and step into your purpose. It's really that simple. It, the simplicity is you're called to help people find a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I love how Billy Graham said it. He said, my one purpose in life is to help people find a personal relationship with God, which I believe comes through knowing Jesus Christ. My one purpose, your one purpose is simply that. And God's uniquely designed you. It's not one size fits all. He's given you a voice. He's given you your past experiences. He's perfectly placed you exactly where you're at to do that in such a new, unique way that only you can fulfill it. You matter. You're needed. And then we have the promise of his presence. And Jesus says, and surely, but don't call me surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Do you know that the most often command in the Bible we see repeated over and over and over again is do not be afraid. Do you know what it's coupled with almost every single time? Because I am with you. It doesn't say do not be afraid because I'll fix it. It doesn't say do not be afraid because everything's going to work out just the way you've planned it to be. It says do not be afraid because I'm with you and that is enough. My presence with you is all that you need. When I was in high school... Uh, my buddy's locker was getting broken into and uh, this, these two guys stole my friend's Walkman. Anybody remember Walkmans? <laughs> Don't laugh. That's not cool. They stole my friend's Walkman. And so I was like, all right. And I, and I, I had a big mouth. And uh, so I just like, hey, you can't do that. And I chased the guys out of the locker room. But I, little did I know they had friends outside waiting for them. And so all of a sudden I'm standing in front of the gym and there's about four or five guys and I'm really believing that my life's going to come to a short end. Fifteen years was good, Lord. Thank you. I would have liked more. And all of a sudden, as I was about to just get beat up, I heard this voice behind me. Ingram's with me. And I looked behind me, and Kino Cheramonti standing behind me. He's the captain of the football team for us, senior. I'm a freshman. And he says, Ingram's with me. Look behind me, see Kino. I mean, he's huge. His neck's like four times bigger than, right? I mean, this guy's massive. And then I looked back, and the guys had run away. You know, I walked on campus a little bit differently, right? (laughs) You know, because after that, I'm like, what's up? (laughs) Kino's with me. I don't know if you know that, but Kino's with me. God says he's with you. God says he's with you. God says that's all that matters. That's all you need to know. You just need to know that the God of the universe who is all controlling, has all the power, all the authority, he says, I'm with you. 
do not be afraid. You know, sometimes the fear is of things that we go, ah, I don't want to, the nevers, right? You, ever, you have those like, God, I'll do anything but. You know, this church plant isn't anything but thing for me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this church plant for me, my wife and I said, there's two things that we don't ever want to do. We don't want to plant a church, and I don't ever want to lead a church. That wasn't in my five-year plan. I didn't have that in there. I said, that's great. I actually had the ideal job. I've been asked to plant a church before. I said, no. And there's, what was behind it was a lot of fear. It was a fear of what would happen to our family, a fear of leaving a community, all these sort of things that bubbled up. And I have intense anxiety, as a, and it's hard to kind of admit that, but it's true. And finally got to the point, God, I give. I'll do whatever you ask me. We stepped into this. Here's what's amazing. I never dreamed of doing this, and I can't dream of doing anything else. Isn't that cool? I mean, just think about it, because God knows you. There's some things that you're going, I never, I'll never. And God's going, no, I know you. You say I never, but I know you. And because I know you, I know that when you step into this, you're going to be like, oh. I mean, for me, this has been like, this is what I'm designed to do. And there's been some really high points and some really low points along this journey, but I just go, oh, man, thank you, God. I wouldn't want to have missed it for anything in the world. I'm so thankful that I get to have some part in that story to get to be a part of that. I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of this with you. See, your I never could lead you to a God who knows. And you go, you know what, you're with me, so I'll go wherever you lead me. What is the mission of God? To restore humanity into right relationship with him, to bring an awakening of new life. Your one person purpose, my one purpose, is to help people find a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Well, the question then is how do I live that out practically, tangibly, in reality, because Monday's coming tomorrow. I don't know if you got the memo, but it's coming tomorrow. How do we do it? How do we live missionally? And I I think we get caught up on this idea, and we get stuck. And I shared this story at intro, so if you were there, I apologize um, in advance, but it's just fit with this transition here, and I couldn't pass it up. Because I think we get caught up on that whole phrase, make disciples, right? I mean, I think we kind of miss that whole thing, and it's like, that feels really overwhelming. It feels kind of like, ah, oh, what do I do? I'm not a theologian. I don't know how to make disciples. I don't know what's happening. What do I do? And we make it really complicated. And he's going, no, 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 this is simple. This is simple. It, it reminds me of my, uh, my friend's mom years ago. Uh, she got a computer, and as a, you know, she tried to set it up all by herself, and she wasn't very computer literate, I guess, if you will, and so she's just reading the manual. She's just got the manual, and is going through and reading it and trying to set it up, it's, and she got to a certain place where in the manual it said, open windows. <laughs> she opened every single window in her house. So I don't, I don't get it. I mean, literally, this is not a lie. This is real. She went out, opened every window. It's amazing. <laughs> And we do that with make disciples. We do that with make disciples. We go, and I, I don't really get it, so I'm trying stuff, and I don't know how it works. It doesn't make any sense, but it's, and God says, no, let me, let, let me help you. Let me speak into this in a way that, is, that just gives you what you need. This is what it looks like. 
And so, you know, what is the mission of God? It's the great commission. How do I live missionally? Here it is. It's the great commandment. It's simply the great commandment. We can find it in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and 37. It, it, pick it up here if you've got your Bibles or if you're reading along in your notes. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to experience life to the full now and forever? And Jesus answers him back. And I love how Jesus does this because now Jesus is being tested. He's been put on the spot and he just flips the role as the master teacher and, and puts it back on the expert. He says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now this guy's got to come up with a good answer. And he does. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that little word, uh, and right there, circle that wor little word, and that conjunction there is actually in the, in the ancient, um, the way the scribes understood it, it was in such a way that it was, uh, how am I trying to, inseparably connected. There wasn't this either or of this command for, for them of like, I love God and I add how we think about it and I do this. I love God and it might be a better way by loving others. It's revealed. My love for God is revealed by how well I love others. You can't have this dichotomy of, well, I really love God really well, but I don't really give a rip about anybody else. And we're like, I'm deep. I'm going to go deep with God. But you know what? I don't really give a rip about you. That was not it. It says, love God, love others. That's your purpose on this planet. That's how you live it out. Jesus answered, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You will experience life to the full. Get that, life. Move from apathy to purpose. But the expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? I love that. Because that's problematic, right? It's easier to be an intellectual. It's easier to have kind of private faith. It's easier to say, yeah, this is what I do on Sundays, but let's, let's, let's clear the board here. How far do I actually have to go? I mean, I mean what's the limit? What's the line? Because, I mean, you can't mean everybody, right? And Jesus tells this masterful story it's called a parable. Even if you've not been around church, you've probably heard of this story, one of his most famous parables. It's called the parable of the good Samaritan to unpack for us what it looks like real practically to live missionally, to live out our purpose on the planet. Here's what he says. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
I mean, you got the picture, right? We got a man from Jericho. He's on a business trip. He's going, I mean, from Jerusalem on a business trip going to Jericho. Now, this terrain, this stretch was 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was treacherous. It was all downhill descent, and there's a rocky terrain all around him. It is notorious for uh, having bandits and robbers hide behind all these large boilers, jump out, and attack people. It was very dangerous. This man is on this trip. This is normal. He got beat up. He got taken advantage of, and he's left half dead. And then what we would often call today, in our terminology, this guy's on a business trip, he got hijacked, and then now a pastor shows up. He just left church, basically. And he's showing up, walking, and he sees the guy. And I would, they don't tell us the reason. There's all kinds of reasons why he might have passed by, you know. It could have been just because it was dangerous and he didn't want to stop because it would inconvenience him. It could be he was in a hurry to get back home. He hadn't seen his family for a while. It could have been because, you know, this man is dead. And if he was actually dead, it would cause him to be Samaritan. Uh, ceremonial unclean and have to like cleanse himself and go through this whole purification process, which would be a hassle. I mean, that's, you know, and so he just didn't even bother and he steps over and keeps going on. And then a Levite who in our day would be someone who's just in leadership here at Awakening sees the same person now and steps over and passes this man by. Now, now, I don't know if they could see one another. You know, I mean, in the story, if you could see and you could see the people walking by and you could see them, and I'm I just curious, I mean, could you watch someone see and pass by? And the Samaritan loved when others failed to love. And he shows up. Now, what you need to know is Jesus was telling this story in, in, in a way that was a, a common way that stories were told, where they would, they would make the heroine a commoner. They'd make the heroine one of the, the, the everyday Joes. It'd be a fisherman. It would be a, you know, a carpenter. It'd be someone in their town that would be, you know, kind of like, yeah. Not, you know, the religious leaders and not political leaders. And so it would be like, yeah, and kind of encourage everybody. And Jesus made the heroine a Samaritan. This was the, one of the most despised people in their day. So much so that the area in Samaria where they were is kind of central uh, in Israel. They would walk completely all around the area to go around. It'd be like a two-day journey out of their way just to not see these people. They despised them because they, there's a whole history there. I don't have time to get into it. I was about to give you a history lesson. And in this short story, Jesus unpacks for us, for you and I, what it looks like to live on mission, to be missional as a community, to live on purpose and fulfill your purpose and call on this planet. Living missionally simply means this. It's this simple. It simply means loving those along your path. That's it. I love what Tim Lundy says on this. He's a local pastor, and he taught actually on this passage uh, at our winter retreat, which I'm excited about it coming up. Um, but he said this, God determines our encounters, but we determine our engagement. Throughout the course of your day, there are God encounters that I think you and I miss all the time. And living missionally is simply loving those along our path and that we would have an awareness of, okay, God determines our encounters, but we have the responsibility to determine our engagement. 
you know, the church I came from, uh, Westgate, has, that launched us out, we would often ask, and we'd sit around in staff meetings, often ask this, you know, if the church burned down with the community care, and as a result, uh, we did a lot of things in the community that simply expressed the love of Jesus, and, and, and we have that here. We want to know that, you know, if awakening didn't exist, if awakening didn't meet here, did, would Delmar care? And we want them to answer like, man, yeah, we don't fully understand it, and we're still kind of wrestling with this God thing in Jesus. But man, we see the evidence of their impact in our community. As we launched Awakening Church, I began to wrestle with a different question. A question that for four years in the place I lived, I never once asked to my shame. If I moved, would my neighbors care? I've lived there for six years now. Four of those six years... I barely got to know any of my neighbors. And I just realized, if I moved, no one would give a rip. They wouldn't know anything different. The next person would come in. All they would know is, you know, this guy Ryan, he has a family. He's got really loud but blonde kids. And you know what? They kind of walk around, and that's it. And, and here's the problem was my backyard is amazing. I we rent this house, and this has got this amazing backyard. I love hanging out in my backyard. I'm kind of introverted, and so, like, when I get home, I like to be back there and just chill. I don't really want to hang out with a lot of people. I just want to be with my family and sit and, you know, like, watch my kids play. It's like, okay, if I moved with my neighbor's care. Well, so what it meant to me was, okay, we have to shift from being a backyard family to a front yard family. It's dangerous. There's a road. I had all these fears and all these reasons. All my anxiety came up. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, I, I did the next logical thing. I went to Toys R Us. <laughs> I figured that would help. And we had a big. We have a big tree in our front yard, and I hung a swing. My kids love it. My back neighbors that were on the back side of the street, uh, Marnie, who leads our kids, they ended up moving to the front side, and so now we're all in the front yard together. And happens on a regular basis multiple times throughout the week we're just hanging out doing life with our neighbors and so my kids will come out and they'll start swinging on the swing and then you know Marnie's kids and Marnie and Brian's kids will come out and then our neighbors just started they just started coming out of their houses you know it's like what's going on what's all this ruckus and then we like hang out like my one neighbor, Todd, that you know, he'll like drive home and, and he'll, he'll go, hey guys, what's going on? You know, like he didn't get invited to some party, you know, and it's like, no, it's just, we're just hanging out. As that started to happen, then, the, then our neighbors as we're hanging out, hey, we, this is fun. We should get to do this. And now they're throwing barbecues and holding them at different houses. We're not even doing it, guys. Our neighbors are. And we're building relationships with people. I mean, there's, there's a guy, the last barbecue we did, I met, he's only five houses down, four or five houses down. And I'm like, oh, did you just move in? I've been there five years. Oh, okay, so recently. Gotcha, gotcha. Because <laughs> I've been here six, and I'm, it was way before you. <laughs> Living missionally means loving those along your path. Diagnostic question. If you moved, would your neighbors care if you changed job, would you, those people you worked with care? If you weren't in that class at that campus, would anybody notice? Loving or living missionally simply means loving those along your path. And it also requires your heart to be engaged. You notice the word there is the word pity. 
I love the word in the Greek. It's the Greek word spagizomai. It's kind of a fun word to say, spagizomai, right? I mean, it's kind of fun, but it comes from the root splachna, and the root there is really your bowels, your intestines. It's literally when you see something, it has a gut-wrenching effect on you. You ever seen anything that you just go, ooh? When the man came across the one who was fallen on the side. There's something about, uh, as the other guys went about their day, their heart was so disengaged to the need they could walk by. This guy had a gut-wrenching response that he couldn't move forward. This word literally means it, it is compassion that moves you to action. It is a deep feeling that produces action. You know the thing that keeps us from actually feeling? It's hurry. We live hurried lives. Hurry is one of the great enemies of the heart. For you and I, when you're rushing, you are not able to actually allow your soul to engage. I'm just curious, with these guys, they had somewhere to go, and they just hurried right past. See, living missionally requires your heart to be engaged. What is your heart engaged on? What wrecks your heart what are you passionate about? You know, earlier this morning, um, I've been, my, in, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are in town, and they're visiting, and we're, we're in this family uh, fantasy football league, and so we're hanging out last night at a Keys, and I was talking a lot of smack. Um, but she was only, uh, I was playing my sister-in-law, and she was only like, she had one point of vantage. So this morning, like at 5 a.m., right, I'm adjusting my fantasy football team. Because I am passionate about winning. Because I talked a lot of smack last night, you know, like, okay, I'm going to. And it's amazing the things we give our energy to and passion to. Have you just thought about this? What currently is wrecking your heart? If anything, it's okay if nothing currently has. If you've been living at a hurried pace, it's time to say, okay, God, this week, would you in your missional community this week, as you start up, you just begin to process it and say, guys, you know what? Here's where I'm at. I've been living hurried, rushed life, and everything's so fast-paced. I don't have time to even know how I'm doing, let alone have anything wreck my heart or really have my heart be wrecked by what's going on around me. And you would take time and say, okay, this week is going to be different. Living missionally, loving those along your path requires your heart to be engaged. And finally, it will inevitably cost you time, money, and energy. You just need to know that right up front. The payoff is so worth it in the end, but it will inevitably cost you time. Do you notice this guy? He's on his way. He's on a business trip. He's going somewhere else. He had to stop and take time. He had to bandage wounds, which as a germaphobe for myself, ah, you know, that's gross. There's probably flies in it and maggots by this time. Who knows? I'm like, I don't want to touch that. Put this guy on his own donkey. Means he's walking the rest of the way. Cost him money. The two denarii, a denarii is simply a day's wage. So you figure out what you make in a day and times that by two. That's what it cost him. He said, I'll give more. And energy. I love what Andy Stanley says about this. 
Because I think one of the things as we're talking about this, it, we get the sense of overwhelm, you know, loving those along our paths and like, okay, Ingram, we, we got so much going on. How do I do this? And, and we get overwhelmed. I can't do everything for everyone. And so as a result, we do nothing. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. You don't have to do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone, and that someone matters. Who's the one in your life? Just think about it. It might be a friend, it might be a coworker, it might be that homeless guy that walks down your street and you go, I can't solve homelessness, but I can make an impact on his life. How about you? Who's the one? Jesus concludes asking the, uh, the lawyer this question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus' response, go, do likewise. What if we all simply loved our neighbor? What if we all simply did for one what we wish we could do for everyone? What if we all began to love those along our path? What if we all allowed our heart to be engaged and broken around the needs around us? And what if we said, it's okay, we're going to step into the sacrifice knowing that what God is going to do in us and the payoff is way greater and way more worth it. You know, I have some good friends uh, names uh, Kenny and Catherine Besk. A few years back, they were processing for them what God was calling and inviting them, their purpose on this planet. And for them, it, they landed and said, doing for one what we wish you could do for everyone was uh, they felt called to adopt a, a kid from another country. Man, talk about costing time and money. They rallied around and they, to raise money. They were told that their house that they owned was too small, and so they sold their house to move in with their parents to have enough space to bring this child over. They go, I can't solve orphan problems worldwide, but I can take one orphan in was where they came from. For years they worked on this, and in August they got the call saying crews had come. They can come and get them in a couple months. I mean, what they had prayed for, what they had pursued, had come. And I mean, it was just great joy. And you see their blog posts and everything going. It's like, yeah, yay. About two weeks ago, they got a call and they said, Cruz is sick. He had to go to the hospital. Next day, they got the call that Cruz died. They are over there now on a plane instead of picking up their son. And I love that. From day one, they called him my son. He said, my son had come. We were just at a party with them, and she was talking about my son's here and the joy. Instead of picking him up, they were burying him. And she had this powerful post as they went over to Africa to bury their son. Or they said, our son didn't die an orphan. 
then for them, the payoff was worth it. They stepped into what God has for them, and I'm excited to see what God continues to have for them. Would you? Would you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Would you love those along your path? Imagine. Just imagine in this room what God might want to do if we as a church collectively said, it's not about being or going to church, it's about being his church out there. It's not about kind of, you know, launching this service that's fun. It's about going and serving those. What if we actually just simply loved our neighbors? Let's pray. God, I I ask tonight you would do things that are way beyond me and way beyond speaking, that you would spark uh, something in the souls of each person here, that this would not be something that we talk about, God, but that we would be a community that follows hard after you, that we would follow you to the uncertain places and know that you will bring us through. God, would you make us a church that lives on mission, that steps into your plans and purposes for our life? God, would you make us a church that simply loves our neighbors? Would you give each person the courage to do what you're calling and asking them to do? In Jesus' name, amen.